This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Danny Pantaro. Hi. What is going on? How are you today? What isn't going on? I'm wonderful today, actually. I mean, listen, I should really say, instead of saying welcome, I should say Merry Christmas. I mean, a country Christmas harmony. You have a Yay! new movie on Lifetime. Like, Oh, the other day when I did one of these, I had a little Christmas tree here. I forgot. Oh, well. But listen, you have your coffee. I have my coffee. It's like, that's all we need. Some coffee talk. Some coffee talk. Well, I mean, you know, congrats on this movie on Lifetime. You Thank know. you. How did this come about for you? Uh, very, uh, how do I describe it? The universe was at play is what I like to say. Um, but I, the, the big thing was last year, middle of last year, because, you know, I haven't been doing anything acting related in over 10 years. Um, it's just been a long time. I did it on purpose. I wanted to just completely alleviate the pressure of that lifestyle from mine. And um, it was absolutely worth it. But last year, and I and I was perfectly excited to like never do it again as well. Like the the plans for my husband and I did not include that. But some point last year, I'm I was watching. I like to say I was watching Star Trek Discovery, and watching this rich relationship between Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp. And suddenly, I was like, I felt jealous, and I felt like I was missing out. And I thought, gosh. I would love to be able to do that and play that character and have that role and these. So I don't know. It just it popped into my brain and then a few weeks passed and I kept thinking about it and I couldn't stop thinking about it. 
and I, I don't know. I just was like, all right, I think, I think I'm ready. And I told the husband, and of course he's been waiting, um, all these years, <laughs> you know, he's always been a big fan of that side of my life. So patiently waiting, uh, till I was ready. And then he just, his face just lit up and he was like, yes, what, whatever that means for you, let's do it. Um, and so it took some time. I, I was able to get my old manager on board, which I was really excited about. And we sort of decided on a January 1st start date for really focusing in on getting things going. And um, I, I gave myself a few months to like figure out social media and like TikTok and try to get all that going. And I've managed to get 16,000 followers. So I'm real proud of that on TikTok, especially. <laughs> yeah. Um, Compared to other people, that's nothing. But when I, I literally started with about 40. So um, to get uh, myself there has been really fun. And then January 1st, I did some headshots. And then mid-January, the manager was like, here it is, first audition, let's do it. And I was like, okay. He's like, I need it done in the next three hours. And I was like, okay. Uh, and that was for Country Christmas Harmony. Um, wow. So my very first audition back in the business after more than 10 years uh i got i landed um and that's where i feel like the universe was playing a role just sort of like oh you're ready to come okay well here have this this is our sign to you that you're making the right decision so yeah i mean that could have been months and months or who knows you know how the yeah. business works you yeah absolutely and and first thing the husband said was i get it look you know one out of a hundred auditions you're gonna land hopefully even that could be harder and then the first one, gosh, it just, um, it was really, it felt so good. It felt so good. So do we have, or do you have Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp to thank for your return to acting? Yes, we could say that. And I actually mentioned them in the, uh, in the People article that just came out. So I messaged them to say, guys, I talked about you. They've both been supportive of it. So um, yeah, I, I contacted Wilson last year saying, here's what I'm thinking about. And he was like, do it. This is great. I love it. Um, so, you know, it's just, we've come so far, um, with these relationships and these characters, you know, it's so, it's, it's more rare to find a gay character that is a caricature of yeah. what, it, you know, it is to be gay. than we do these really rich um complex characters i'm so thrilled for that you know and the last time i tried to be an actor we were nowhere near where we are now we were still at the random gay friend caricature sort of roles and they were like once every six months few and far between and every out gay actor was auditioning for the role so you know nothing ever came of it for me um so it was the right move. I'm so glad I took the time. And that's the other thing I've always said too, is I don't think, I think the universe was kind of saying, look, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, look, you're not, you're not in a mental place to be able to handle what the business has become. So you need to go and like become an adult, figure out what that means, figure out what it means to be not a celebrity. And then when you're ready, you'll, you'll come back. I feel like in hindsight, that's what, what was sort of being handed to me. And so was it really in part, you know, that like we have come far, you know, like gays in Hollywood and like the stories that it really, that was really a huge part of it. 
That was the impetus. Absolutely. Because I've always said that if I were to ever do it again, it would only be to play really great, interesting characters. And we've, we've absolutely, I mean, every major TV show seems to, to be start having some sort of character that's in the LGBTQ plus realm that is not just, you know, two lines for the two lines for the exposure and you know, oh we get to say we have a gay character no they are actually like crucial to the storyline make a huge impact on everyone in the show you know i mean that's that's what i've been waiting for not that i was really waiting because for many of those years when i wasn't in the business i like it was it did not even cross my mind to even consider coming back is there what do you attribute you know because like look we've come far right i mean is it like because we had Will and Grace back in the day. Is there one thing you contributed to or like one person you now want to work with or, you know, now that you're back? I mean, I have my own thoughts. I'm just curious as to what yours oh, are. No, I want to know what your thoughts are. Tell me, please. I mean, look, I think it's a culmination of everything, right? But I think like you look at like a Ryan Murphy and it's of like course. that changes the game. I mean, I know that's the obvious answer, but not really. I mean, there's so many things he's given us you yes. know even back in the day with like nip talk and it's just getting more and more and more it's just to me that's created a world which is now people have taken off on that 100 percent. and and if i you know i did a post a couple of months ago where i said what would you guys like to see me on and by far something ryan murphy related was top of the list by far um so yeah i mean ryan murphy has absolutely changed the landscape and i love that he's done it with a mix of really fun and really awful characters and also really complex and dramatic characters some really silly characters but always with a nod to sort of um the ins and outs of what it's like to be a gay person or an lgbtq plus i mean pose uh was just ridiculous in terms of the content you know gosh just reliving those people's lives it just felt like we were right there you know and um and even this latest season of american horror story though it was really hard to watch. Um, the characters were beautiful and complex and had so much, um, so much to learn about themselves and just watching. I mean, have you seen it? Do you know what it's about? This New York City version? Oh, yeah. I know. I'm New like, York City one. I've been so busy. I watch things only for work usually. And then I make sure. rare exceptions. This is a rare. So I was like, I'm just going to, I it's phenomenal. I think it's might be one of the best seasons ever personally. I don't know if that's because I am a gay man and I live in New York. So maybe I relate to it more, but I think it's phenomenal. A little bit of both. I, I think it was not what anyone was expecting. That's for sure. But there was a moment when I said, oh, he's, like the the concept well i don't know if i want to give it away but the concept that he's implying that there's a serial killer on the loose when it's actually just aids you know and that moment in those people's lives when they pro they had no context for it being a disease at first and so all of a sudden gay men were disappearing somebody's killing these you know like there's a serial killer on the loose and then to find out that it's actually, you know, HIV, that that would have been such a what a crazy moment in 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 the world at that time, you know? Um, I, I can't I, even process it. I agree with all that. And then like when you realize like, oh, this is what this season's really about, you're like, yeah. this is literally, I can't even like who could think of this? It's so brilliant. It's so yeah. brilliant. The, there's a moment when um near the end when 
uh, what is her name? Uh, she's doing the tarot cards. Um, Sandra Bernhard. Sandra Bernhard. And the death card just keeps coming up for each one. And she just sort of starts to look around the room and realize, based on what she knows at that point, that she's being sort of guided that there's something bigger going on. Ooh, it was just really like, ooh, so, so good. So good. I agree. When you think back to the beginning for you, Cujo, when you were seven years old, like, do you remember that? I mean, I don't remember anything from childhood, especially seven. Like, do you have vivid memories? No. And everyone expects me to, you know, (laughs) what do you remember from working on Cujo? I have a couple of memories. I have like really big memories, you know, like stuff that I had never seen before. Like they cut one of the Pintos, they cut them, they cut it in half and put a camera inside um from where the engine would be and my brain latched onto that memory because i've never seen anything like that right but um there's a very few and far between i think a lot of the memories i have from cujo are created post cujo by looking at the photos my dad took a whole photo album of pictures and then of course watching the movie and then telling the stories with d wallace at all these horror conventions over the years so i think i've created these memories but they're not really from that time um but yeah no i have a few memories from as the world turns there was we, they they sent us to spain and it was the first time i'd ever left the country so i do have some vivid memories of being in spain there was a bullfight and i got to be there um and then they set our house on fire like the actual set on a sound studio um they set it on fire and i didn't know i couldn't figure out how they did that without burning the entire sound studio down and it was just so cool to be like running through this you know set that was on fire so i have a vivid memory of that interesting so nothing about like being scared of the dog working with d wallace stephen king like nothing to that effect well i never met stephen king i do remember speaking to him on the phone i didn't at the time realize who he was or like the magnitude of the call i was like oh it's a somebody involved okay hello how are you you know i had no context i have lots of memories of d and there are some very specific memories of d um but i was not scared of the dogs at all like not even slightly um there were seven of them there was a man in a dog suit there was a dog in a dog suit there was a mechanical dog um and you know they kept me away from the dogs when when we were filming because they didn't the they're saint bernards they're actually very loving animals and so if you create a connection to them suddenly they're want to wag their tail and get pet pets from you and they didn't want that so um i was just so giggled silly by the idea that they had mustard and ketchup on their face and that they kept trying to lick it off um you know that that was more amusing to me than anything else and um and i've always said that about sort of my career as a child that i just don't you know you cannot teach a six-year-old to do that you cannot teach a six-year-old actor to just give everything they have and to the fear and to the point where to this day every time someone mentions Cujo they ask if I'm scarred from filming it you know I just I don't I I had to have been sort of guided by something to get me there there's you know how do you how do you teach a, a, a five six-year-old to do that um and not only that but then the five or six-year-old is like you know D Wallace after every take she would say now you know it's just it's not real and they've got their makeup on and you know they're trained and i'd be like okay that's fine so are they going to move the camera over there for this next shot or what you know (laughs) like 
I wow blows my mind. That blows my mind. I mean, right. You can't teach a five or six year old that. So how did you get into acting? Like, was it, I'm always just curious when people start really young, like, Mm -hmm. was it your parents just said, or did you have a conscious thought of like, I want to be an actor at six? No conscious thought. And, and it was actually at the age of two. Um, So my mom was a hairdresser. We lived just outside of New York uh, in Northern New Jersey and, you know, close enough. It's like the Valley here in LA It's close enough to Manhattan to where like, if you have a cute kid, the moms at the time would be like, oh, you should send some pictures in for them. They, they're so cute. They'd be a great model. She had pictures of me up on her mirror. Um, and she just got so tired of people sort of saying that, that she was like, all right, fine. I'll send some Polaroid pictures to, and so she sent them to one agency. And I think it was a couple of days later that they called her with a modeling job for me at the age of two. Um, wow. And, you know, so I would go in and I would audition for stuff or, you know, go in and have some Polaroids taken and I got everything, like every single thing I auditioned for as a child, I would get. I've done a whole bunch of commercials, tons and tons of uh, like Sears catalog modeling. Um, I was on the box of a of a toy, uh, like it was a car that uh, was that sold at, you know, What's that place called that's closed now? That wonderful toy Toys store. Toys R Us. Toys R Us, yeah. I was on the cover of this box. And uh, and then I started doing, you know, like more serious commercials. Somebody actually just sent me a couple of them. I have a, a Dentine commercial. I have a Colgate commercial that they found. They have a, a TWA Airlines commercial of me. So cute. Oh, my gosh. I'll uh-huh. send them to you. Yeah. Um, and, then, uh, and then finally, you know, I just got the audition for As the World Turns to play Paul Stenbeck, which is uh, Barbara Stenbeck's son, big character. He was actually on the show for the entire rest of the run of As the World Turns, um, but I was the first. Um, And I did that for years. And then one day Cujo came up, I got the audition for that, landed that. And then the producers of Who's the Boss saw me in Cujo and asked me to audition for Who's the Boss, and I landed that. It just, you know, it was just, just kept going. And I'm sure, like, at that time, you didn't appreciate, like, wait, you just don't go on auditions and get the job. I mean, it seems like that's how it was working at that point. Yeah, I I had no context. I thought, oh, okay, does everyone get the job when they go into audition for it? Like, it just, and it was, it made the post- um, it made the post who's the boss time of auditioning that much harder because I never really learned the business of being an actor. I'd show up, I'd get the job. So when that stopped happening, <laughs> it was really hard and I didn't understand. Um, and then, you know, there was a lot more happening in terms of like, um, you know, the Jonathan Bauer stereotype and, and the whole idea of, you know, everyone knew I was gay long before I did. So, you know, trying to audition to play these like young jock characters, just, it wasn't gonna happen, you know? And I didn't, I didn't understand at the time. I thought, gosh, I'm trying really hard and these are, and I'm giving you my best. And I think <laughs> producers and casting were probably like, mm, yeah, no, no. Like, so, <laughs> sorry, no context for it. <laughs> What about, you know, like when you were on Who's the Boss, like when did you realize, because like, right, your parents put you in it, here you are, you're booking those editions, now you're on Who's the Boss. Like when did you realize like, A, this is actually work, 
Like this isn't like, and did you ever during who's the boss? I mean, it was eight years. Like you grew up on that show. Did you ever say like, wait, like, look at what my friends are doing. They're all playing. They're not working. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Or like, did you ever question? Like, I don't know if I want to do this because you didn't really make the decision for yourself day one. Uh, yeah, no, definitely not. My mom did have this thing that she would do where every couple of times, you know, especially in New York, we had a long drive into Manhattan. So on the drive, she would say, okay, are you still having fun? Do you still want to do this? Because if you don't, I'm totally fine with, with not doing this anymore. Um, so I really appreciate her for that. But yeah, of course, we get to who's the boss and suddenly uh, I'm working consistently and I loved it. Like, I loved every minute of it. They treat child actors really well on these shows, you know, and and my parents were great about, like, if I did a great job that week, I could get a great toy, you know, or, um, and I had never really been, because I'd been working since before starting actual school, I'd never really been to a school for more than a couple of days to get some work, you know, or what they would do is the teachers would give me like a packet of work, uh, homework for the week. And I would do that on set whenever I had time. So I didn't really have a context for, oh, I'm missing out on what my friends are doing. And I did have a few friends, so I was able to like hang out with them when I could. But what I did differently than, I don't think actually I've ever heard of another child actor doing this is, very early on in the show, my parents figured out that the sort of child celebrity downfall thing was already happening. And they tried to figure out what was the cause, like what was the root cause of that? And how could we prevent that from happening to him? And it was really clear. The cause was that the these child actors had nothing to fall back on. The day the show ended, they were lost. There was nowhere for them to go. They weren't going to get another job for a while. They were stereotyped as whatever role they played. And that just, you know, spirals into a whole mess mentally for the actor. And sooner or later, all hell breaks loose. So my parents said, how can we prevent that from happening? And what we did was we went to the producers of Who's the Boss and we said, or they said, he's going to go to regular actual high school or he's not coming back to Who's the Boss. So we found a high school in LA that was willing to let me go to school from 815 first first period through fifth period. And then I would drive to work. So every day for the last like five years of who's the boss, I went to school every day, went to work, you know, an hour drive to set, they would skip my scenes until I got there. We would rehearse, then I'd go home and I would do all of my homework. I was in all the AP classes. I had a 4.8 GPA at one point and it just did it all again the next day um so why that was so successful is that the day the show ended i just went to school for the rest of the day um and i had two more years of high school and i you know got into stanford university and so i was focused on graduating from stanford university and didn't even have time to think about oh oh dear me my career is not going anywhere you know it was oh god am i gonna actually be able to pass these classes at stanford you know it's shocking that your parents were able to figure that out and like see the trend of like because right i mean i've interviewed many of them that were former child stars from the 80s that have you know they're fine yeah. now but they had that in between complete downfall yeah and then it's i mean i that is always i've always said that is one of the things that i i love about them the most that they had this the foresight to figure out how to make that happen just going to regular high school, who would have thought? I know, right? I mean, you know, but of course I have a lot of trauma from high school and, and that wasn't their fault by any stretch. But when I went to the high school, 
my goal was to be like just normal i just wanted to be like every other kid i did not want to be the celebrity kid and i never really wanted to be that either like i wasn't big on going to the parties and Alyssa was going to like all the teen beat parties and who knows what getting into and i was just like yeah it's not really i'm kind of a nerdy kid i just want to be a nerdy kid at school when i got to school for the first like week or two i was super popular everybody wanted to be my friend and then they realized that I wasn't going to sort of live up to the celebrity hype that they were hoping for, you know, parties at his house and whatever, I mean, whatever they were expecting. And just like instantly, they all dropped me. And in hindsight, I have actually talked to a few of the sort of, you know, jock guys from school, uh, believe it or not who said that they had already sort of pinned that there was something different about me. And again, I had no idea. So m the context for me is that nobody wanted to be my friend and I couldn't figure out why. Um, in hindsight, it was that they, you know, thought that I might be gay or different and, and I wasn't living up to the stereotype. So I had some serious trauma from that. Uh, all of seventh and eighth grade, I just walked around during lunch, you know, like, looking like I was on my way somewhere, but really just trying to find a little corner to have lunch by myself. It was really awful. You are preaching to the choir. It takes one to know one, right? Yeah. But oh, yeah. look at us now. So we I know. <laughs> high school was not exactly my fun. You know, I live in New York now, but I'm originally from Connecticut. So, you know, suburbs and yes, it was a different time, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What, like what sticks out? Like, how would you describe your time? Like working like with Judith, like you said, and like Tony Danza and Alyssa, like just what's the overall, like, what was it like to work with them? Perfect. Like it couldn't have been a better experience for all of those years. We really did come together as a family. I mean, we were doing Christmas gifts. I was getting Judith mom, like uh, Merry Christmas mom stuff. And I was getting Catherine, like uh, grandma stuff and, um, you know, I loved being there. Alyssa and I had like iffy moments, but that was really just because she was teenager and I was younger brother and she was just like, ah, get out of here and slam the door in my face. Nothing like specifically, um, mal no malice to it, just older sister, younger brother things. And, um, you know, overall it was great. Near the, in the final few seasons of the show, some more trauma was created for sure. Um, in that, the producers didn't know what to do with me. You know, here's this sort of little kid who's different and probably gay. And I can just imagine them trying to write scripts and being like, well, we could have him have a girlfriend. And then, you know, they'd probably be like, yeah, no one's going to believe that. And I, of course, this is all hindsight. Like I did not understand in the last few seasons why they had such a hard time finding good material for me. And it was always the same thing, guys, I'm a talented actor. I've been in some really dramatic stuff. Give me an episode. Like, there's no reason why we can't do a full episode about Jonathan in something interesting or serious or weird or whatever it might be. And it just ended up being like, he sticks his hand in a mustard jar. Oh, no. You know, and two lines, three lines at the most. And and then the final season, they bring this little boy in because I obviously wasn't providing them little boy energy anymore. And that felt even worse because he had, you know, 10, 15 lines per episode. And here I am with like two. Um, 
so it really sent me for a loop in a way it just made me feel not wanted i just i didn't feel like anybody wanted me there and what i realize now in hindsight after a lot of therapy and and life passing is that it really just was they didn't know what to do with me and i can't i can't fault them for them at, at that time there's no way they could do anything other than you know silly storylines we're, we're not and i'm not actually aware of my sexuality at that time so it's not like they could say hey would you like to do a episode about you figuring out you know like could you even imagine that happening in 1980 you know no so do you guys know that the holidays are the busiest and most stressful time of the year well this year i'm calm and cool and collected thanks to talkspace talkspace offers both therapy and psychiatry right from the comfort of my phone i can reach out to my provider anytime anywhere and let's face it there's a lot of family involved during the holiday season well listen talk with talkspace i'm able to talk out all of my family issues there's no more need to commute to appointments and miss time at work and line up and wait. It's right from the comfort of your own home or phone from wherever you are. It's mental health care made easy. You just easily sign up online and you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you. And you don't have to wait for that. That usually happens within 48 hours. As a listener behind the velvet rope, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash velvet. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash velvet to get a hundred dollars off your first month that's right talkspace.com slash velvet um, no no and especially not the fact that you're you ended at what like 16 or something yeah like that. It, so, and also that too yeah of course nowadays it's not that it, it, it would be great to see storylines because kids are just figuring it out so much earlier now it'd be like oh that's happening a lot but back in you know the late 80s early 90s that's just not not a thing and you didn't like throughout the run of who's the boss, like you didn't realize you yourself were gay necessarily. Um, in hindsight, I, I had had some sort of thoughts about it. I definitely was internally sort of, I didn't understand the thoughts. Um, but, you know, the other thing you have to remember too, is that I never got to do the, what do I want to be when I grow up thing that kids do. You know, I didn't yeah. get to figure any of that out until after Who's the Boss ended. So I was confused as to whether it was that I just didn't know who I was as a person because all I knew was being, you know, a child actor. Or was there something deeper going on that I just wasn't willing to process? I think it's a combination of all of the above, honestly. Um, and you, right. And you, so then you certainly didn't have the awareness of like, maybe that's not why they're writing me these lines. It's because I'm gay. Yeah. Cause you didn't even realize it either at that point. No. It's just like, why am I getting two lines when everyone else is getting a lot? Yeah. And remember, I didn't actually come out or sort of really start to process any of this until halfway through Stanford. I mean, up until that point, I had multiple girlfriends. I had a girlfriend all through high school. <clears throat> I did, dated several girls at uh, at Stanford. I met a girl here in LA and actually asked her to marry me um, and broke up with her by telling her that I thought I might be bisexual or gay and was trying to figure out what that meant. Um, and she actually was there when I told my parents. She said, you know, I, I love him. I still love him and I'm helping him get through this, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I was... Uh, we we would be married with multiple kids at this point if I hadn't figured out that I was gay for sure. Wow. When yeah. Alyssa was slamming the door at you, like, did you 
realize that it was just like big sister or were you just like <clears throat> i mean or did you take this like you know she was a big part of the show and like yeah uh, no i didn't take it sister. personally if anything i sort of added it to the list of nobody really wants me to be here you know um but that the, the what she did wasn't really trauma inducing at all it was just little brother older sister stuff it was really just the work and we don't know what to do with him yeah really for sure um you know after the show and because we weren't able to create a, a relationship while filming she was the one person i talked to the very least for at least 10 years after who's the boss solely because we just never developed that sort of bond um and then it wasn't until uh the oprah moment that she like, <clears throat> I think we both, sorry, I need a sip of water. Uh, it's fine. I've been drinking coffee this whole time. So um, I I don't know what happened, but she, uh, if you go back, I think if I remember correctly, God, it was what, seven years ago now, she found out on The View that I had just come out as being HIV positive and was totally caught off guard. And she has a bit of a teary moment uh, in that. Have you ever seen her on The View for that? Yeah, I thought, it, I mean, I could be wrong. I thought it was the talk, but I don't know. It's one of them. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe the it talk. was The View. I mean, you, you no, might it was probably The Talk. One of the two. They, they're interchangeable. In, in yes, um, I, 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 I agree. <laughs> but uh, right after that episode, I got a text from her. And it just our relationship since that moment has developed uh, ex extra ex a lot <laughs> a lot so like after so i mean right so you didn't really know you were gay like you said probably the producers knew because they were you know like let's not give you so you never had because like jonathan had girls i mean you know different yeah episodes. you never felt strange about that like this is because you really just didn't know so it's all i really just didn't know and i was dating girls at the time and so i and, and in fact if i if i think back about it i was probably asking them for more episodes where i interacted with girls um because also of course my parents are also sort of pushing that narrative right and um, we wanted to try to make me a, like a teen heartthrob and that just never took off. Like we tried really hard and I was in a bunch of teen beat magazines. There's this really great picture of me and like Zeke Avericis with my, with no shirt on just a jacket over top. Like, I, I don't know what we were thinking. Um, they wanted me to try to be like a pop singer, you know, cause at the time Alyssa was uh, super popular in Japan with a couple of songs she released. So we tried that and just nothing stuck. And I couldn't figure out why, but it was just girls weren't, you know, it was all the little boys at home that were going, oh, he's so cute. And if I, you know, every day I get a message from someone or, you know, a, a note on a post of, gosh, you were my crush when I was a, a kid. And they're all, it's all men. It's all, it's all guys my age. So yeah, everybody knew but me interesting so then i mean i know you know you were i remember you know because we're around the same age you know like when the national Enquirer, you know broke this story like how did that go down and like who then i mean Alyssa, i guess didn't but like who else did anyone know from who's the boss how does that like do you, do you answer the phone like hey this is the Enquirer. we're gonna run with this story whether you cooperate or not just fyi yeah pretty much um what had happened was the part of the story that people don't know is there was a radio station, I don't even remember where, but uh, somehow they got a hold of me, uh, my phone number, 
And I don't know if maybe somebody had tipped them off. I, I'm not really sure of the backstory, but I was literally in the middle of finals at Stanford and I got a call from this radio station. They're like, you're live on air with whatever. And I was like, okay. And I don't know, I answered some questions about Stanford or who's the boss. And then they asked me something and my answer was a little fishy, which was, you know, uh, you know, I'm exploring my options when it came to like, do you have a, a girlfriend? And I don't know if they contacted the inquirer, or the inquirer heard this. I don't know. I'm not really sure how that happened. But then like a week later, the inquirer called and we've done some research and we know what's going on there at Stanford and we're going to do a story about it. Um, what do you think? And I was like, I'm going to need to get back to you on this. And I just hung up the phone and instantly called Judith because I, at the time, you know, I mean, she's always been an advocate beyond. She is the mother of advocacy for the LGBT plus community. But uh, at the time, especially, she was an icon for that. And I called her and I said, look, I don't know what to do. Um, and she said, look, they cannot misquote you. If there's one thing a journalist can't do is misquote you. They can construe what you say, but if you give them mature, adult, honest answers, it can't be a bad article. But if you choose not to interview with them, they're going to turn it into a scandalous thing and, and make a mess of it. And so I said, you know, you're right. So I called the inquirer back and I just gave, I told them the truth. I just told them how I was feeling and what I was going through and where I'd been. And Believe it or not, if you read the reread the article, it's actually quite good uh, in terms of respect and, um, you know, it's really not very salacious at all for the Inquirer, you know? Right. Um, so I appreciated that. But it, it was very true. There's They can't make it a salacious article if I'm being mature and saying, you know, I've been taking some time to figure out who I am and what that means. And it's been really hard, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, they can't turn that around. And you think it's really just because you picked up this phone with this radio station and said, I'm exploring my options. I mean, that's a Absolutely. pretty. I think so. I mean, it could be, they could not be connected, but they were so close together um, that it just, it, it has to have been the reason for sure. I, I mean, I think absolutely is a good answer because I mean, exploring your options, there's only one way to really <laughs> do that. Yeah. And I, and I had already been living freely at Stanford. I told my family by that point. And, you know, I, I, again, maybe the fates, I'm a, a big believer in sort of the universe or the fates or whatever the energy is, whatever you want to call everyone's, you know, matter is just energy vibrating. Right. And, and I've always said that you might call it God. Uh, some people call it whatever you might call it. I sort of call it just the energy of the universe, universe. And maybe um, the decision to just not back away from it was, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm going to be this like gay icon. I'm going to do this. I'm going to like, no, <laughs> it was far from it. It was terrifying. And I absolutely knew that my career would be over the moment I started talking about it, but it just never occurred to me to not have, not be honest and talk about it. Um, so I, I still have to explore why I did that. But I, again, I really think there was more going on. I, I, I think I agree. Like everything happens for a reason. It's kind of the thing. Did you, when you said this to this radio station, did you have a like hanging up the phone, like, oh shit moment? Or were you just like, all right, yes. whatever I, you did? <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I totally did. Um, I think in the middle of the call, maybe right after I said that, depending on, I, and I think whatever their answer was, was, oh, that was exactly why we called him. Like they were trying to get me to go there and they succeeded, those little fuckers. And uh, I just remember I had this moment where I could feel the blood like rushing to my face. And I, yeah, I, I knew more would come of it for sure. I didn't know what, but I knew more would come of it. And then the inquiry was like shortly thereafter. And then shortly so you're thereafter, like, yeah. So at that point, like, I guess Judith Light knew because you called her, like you already told her prior, yes. like you were out in your life. You just weren't out to the world. Out to the world. Yeah. And Tony, you know, everybody else found out once the article came out and um, I think they quoted Tony in it. I don't remember. I, I I know they quoted Judith, uh, or at, Tony was quoted sometime afterwards as being supportive. Everybody was supportive, so you know, and and they're not not going to be supportive. I mean, that's a bad move, right? <laughs> In terms of sort of a, a publicity choice. Um, but even even outside of whatever they were quoted as saying, they were everybody was really supportive from the cast. So never an issue with that for sure. Were you worried? I mean, this is such a stereotypical question, but it was the eighties, nineties. Like, were you worried about Tony? You know, just like straight male like i mean that's you know we've all come out that anyone yeah. that's come out realizes there is difference between telling your best girlfriend and telling that you know, straight guy i mean that's a valid question right like what did tony danza think of this we talk more about this more about gay hollywood more about danny sitting down with oprah which we all thought was going to be a where are they now segment and then, you know, he revealed he was living with HIV. He came out as, you know, someone who has used crystal meth in the past. We go deep, guys. We go deep. But listen, on a lighter note, we also talk about a Who's the Boss reboot. Oh, yes. That's what you guys want to hear about. And we also talk about, look, he's starring in a Hallmark movie, The Country Christmas Harmony. We talk about Candace Cameron and her you know, recent statements on, you know, what marriage should constitute. We get more into that in his time on The View with Candace. We cover it all, guys. So much to cover. Part two of this epic chat with Mr. Daddy Pintaro. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.